All right, how is everyone? Is it well with you? Okay, I don't have any extra thing to say, but I have to take a sip of water, so just bear with me. Sorry, I should have done that like way sooner. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what happened with Pastor Kathy. We went to eat with her yesterday, and um, I think afterwards at some point she was and started to feel bad, so I know she sends her love and her greetings, and um, I'm her pinch hitter. Her pinch hitter. Is that okay? Can I be that for you today? Can I fill in? Can I fill in? Well, I'm just believing that God has a word for us. I know that he's doing something. You know, you know what I love about, I don't know how you are in your prayer time, but I don't like to pray for just me. Now, I know that probably caps some people right there. Because most people, they say, well, is it the length of the prayer? No, but, but normally I got at least 10 minutes about me. So if my whole prayer time in the day is 10 minutes, then there ain't nothing left. So I've had to learn how to allow myself to have longer prayer times because I knew I was going to take at least 10. None of y'all got no problems. Sometimes my husband's 10 minutes worth my prayer time. Thank you. I appreciate honesty in the house today. If you're joining us online, you should like that if you're a female right now because you know you're praying for your husband. You're praying you can make it. You can hold your tongue. You know it. Trying to be your fine china. Make sure you look good in the cabinet. Like, you know, y'all don't, y'all don't know. But I, I know that in my prayer time, I, I really ask the Lord, Lord, talk to me about what's happening in the world. It's really important to me to know how to tap into what God's saying globally. Because how many of you know, our church is not the church. We're one lighthouse that's set on a hill in a region. That's what God called us to be, a regional church. We have a zip code on purpose. God appoints voices and he appoints leaders in regions. And when he does that, he gives you authority in the region you've been given. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 16, you can have boundary lines that flow to you in pleasant places because your voice is assigned to a zip code. That's why, that's, that's why some people, I heard Bill Johnson's son say one time, he said, I got on the plane and I flew to Africa and I had all these miracles in California. And when I got to Africa, I started laying hands on people and nobody got healed. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and he said, you can't come to Africa with the same zip code anointing that you left California with. You got to remember that unless I gave you the authority in this realm, you don't get to just hijack it from me. I'm just going to teach us for a moment. So when we talk about having a voice into the atmosphere of something, people ask me a lot, how do I sense atmospheres? First, you've got to sense who you are in the atmosphere. I'll never forget when I was flying into Argentina once. I had never been to Argentina. Cece's from there. Well, partly. She's, I don't know how to claim her. She's part, she's part Argentine and she's part Colombian and now she's American. So she's all things to all people. But when I went to Argentina, which is a great rival of Colombia, by the way, which is funny that she's both. When I went to Argentina, I remember flying in and I was, I was so sick when I was coming in. I actually had strep throat, did not know it. So I want to make that clear. I did not get on the plane knowing it. But when I was on the plane flying in, I was, I was so sick. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. This was probably 15 years ago. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, I'm about to change the address of your voice. I'm about to extend it into places that you don't go, but your feet have gone before you because I'm taking you there. 
And here's what I sense over the gate church. God is changing some addresses of our voices. He's tired of you talking to the same circle about the same things. Is this okay? She's playing her piano. Y'all feel soothed. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Just soothe their soul while I challenge their heart. See, sometimes we get up in low hanging, we get caught up in low hanging fruit. And we never climb the tree because it's difficult. But I believe that God's changing the assignment of our voices in this house, not because we are the church, but because we're a church who refuses to stop. I refuse not to get up every day and hear what God's saying for that day. I refuse to live on my experiences of yesterday to prove my tomorrow. There is a time for the lion and the bear, so when I'm facing Goliath, but there's also a time I leave Goliath behind and I come into the kingship I was called to. We got to stop preaching things in one dimension and never walking in the kingly anointing that God has possessed for us. So when Pastor Jay got up on last week and he began to teach on a sermon about following God, I, I thought only people in this room that would probably know that I have been in the midst of that is Samantha because she travels with me everywhere. But I've been preaching a sermon on following Jesus for about a year and a half now just because it's been in me, because God's requiring things of me, stuff from me. The type of thing that says, Amanda, if you don't see it, will you still go? If you don't understand it, will you still say yes? Will you keep saying yes to me even though I refuse to show you the full picture? It reminded me of, of a woman, her name is Florence Chadwick. She's a swimmer. And in 1952, she decided she was gonna swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California. No woman had ever swam that. It was 26 miles of swimming. You gotta like swimming. I was not made for that. And the morning she got up in 1952 to swim from Catalina Island all the way to the coast of California, she, it was foggy outside, it was difficult, the water was cold, but she did, she began her swim. 15 hours and 55 minutes in, she had not reached the coast. And because, of course, they're concerned about open waters with one female going in 1952, her mom, who was her coach, had been in the, in the boat beside her, the little tow boat, and was cheering her on when she would come up for air, telling her, you're not that far. But of course, all the fog didn't allow her to see the coastline, so she didn't know how far it was still yet. All she knew is her mom kept telling her, it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay, you're gonna get there, you're gonna get there. And her, docu her documentary and her autobiography says that when she lifted up her head to her mom, she said, I can't go another minute, mom. I can't do it. I'm just exhausted. I can't see the coastline. And her mom said, just a little bit more, Florence. You really are almost there. She said, I can't do it. She got out of the water. She got into the tugboat and she was half a mile from the coast of California. And her autobiography says that two months later, she decided once the pain had left of her own failure of feeling like she gave up, that she got back in the water in Catalina Island. And she told her mom, this time, I will get to the coast. 
Her documentary says that it was colder than before, it was foggier than before, and the waters were rougher than before. But this time, she didn't just make it to the shoreline, she made it two hours and 45 minutes faster than the pace of any man had ever made it to the shore. And when they asked her, they said, all of the elements seem as if they were positioned against you, worse than what they were the first time around. What made you capable of getting to the shoreline this time? She said, because this time I saw it here before I saw it here. And this vision let me go further than these eyes could ever take me. Here's what God's doing at the gate church. He's put us in foggy waters. He's put us in rough places, but it is not so that we stay on Catalina Island. It's so that we learn how to follow him in the midst of what feels like contrary conditions. Because when we do that, it's not about our ability. It's not about our endurance. It's not about our potential. It's about our willingness to choose to get back in the water and see something here before we see something here. But see, Christians call something faith, but in reality, it's only faith because you have glimmers of seeing it with your natural eyes. You find the man, and then you got faith to get married to him. You found the house, now you got faith to believe for it. You got the job that gives you what you want, now you believe for a raise. You got favor with your boss, so now it's easier to believe for promotion. We call that faith, but in reality, faith is the evidence of not seeing it. And yet still in your heart, believing it is more true than anything you've ever known. So I want to kind of carry on just for a few minutes on what Pastor Jay started on how far will you go? How far will you go? Are you okay? Are you going to make it? Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, and I'm going to pick up in verse 13. I'm reading out of the New King James. I'm going to skip around a couple times, so just stay with me in Luke 24. Starting in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned with one another that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know who he was. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened? And he said to them, What things? I love Jesus. He's so funny. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is the prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and all the rulers delivered him to the condemned, to death, and crucified him. They were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today's the third day since all those things happened. 
Yes, the certain women of the community and the company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came and they said, he is alive. And certain of those things that we went to the tomb and found that it wasn't true. And they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Are not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further. Lord, I'm asking you today that you will anoint my words. Speak to your people. Speak to this house. Let me be a voice peace for you. And let it take root in people's hearts and in their spirit. And Lord, I'm asking you so that you get the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. In this scripture, I just want to start here because I want us to see something. Luke 24 gives us a description of something that I think Jesus did often, which was let people decide what they thought about him. You know, if I was Jesus, I'm pretty sure I would not have allowed my Bible to be interpreted, my word to be interpreted as many weird ways as people have done to him. I would be pretty upset if my reputation was continually put on the altar of stupid. But Jesus somehow, in his amazing uh, nature and character, has never become offended with how people choose to describe him. In fact, most of the time, he redeems their description of him by proving either that it was completely wrong or he builds on it to show them something completely different. And in this scripture, he comes on the scene with two men who are talking about all these astonishing things that have just happened. Of course, we know that this was the, the crucifixion of Jesus. We had come to the end of the crucifixion. He's now been put into a tomb. Now the word's getting out that people say he has been put back and he's alive. Something's gone wrong. Something's different. And you got to remember, there was lots of voices going out at that moment. People saying they've moved his body. His disciples are making this up. Things aren't really that way. So there's all kinds of mixed going on and all the people of Jerusalem because they didn't have social media they're all caught up you ain't know nobody like that everybody just caught up what's the affairs what's going on what's happening and that's exactly human nature right to get in the middle of crazy and these two men they're going down the road and the Bible says that Jesus shows up to them in the middle of their conversation and he doesn't make himself known to them all he does is he starts asking them questions and as he asks who they really are and what they really think starts to come out and because he loves them enough not to leave them in their condition the Bible says that he unfolded the scriptures of himself to them without ever revealing who he was if you read in certain translations it also says that their hearts became warm when he spoke to them because somehow something that he said began to resonate on the inside of them they didn't know what it was they didn't know why it was there they didn't understand it they didn't know who he was all they knew was something that man said made sense to my heart but what I want to pick up on is that oftentimes we do the exact same thing 
We come into our church services. We go into our connection groups. We have our prayer times and our private times. We have coffee with the person who we believe we're spurring along conversation and God with. And God shows up in some manner in the midst of us. We don't necessarily discern that he's there in that moment, but he's there. And all of a sudden, our hearts become warmed by the revelation and the conversation of what's happening inside. But many of us, much like verse 28, is exactly what happens next. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. Here's what I figured out. You can be warmed by the Spirit, get the biggest revelation from God, and still want to keep going where you were headed to begin with. They had him with them, and it never changed their destination. So many times in life, God begins to bring something to us, whether through someone else, whether through his own spirit, whether it's through a time in a service like today, whether it's through someone inspirational that just clicks with us. But instead of taking that nugget and allowing it to push us into a different dimension, we take it as good preaching, good teaching, good friendship, good, good opportunity, good whatever, good favor, good blessing. Instead of depositing it in, knowing that God actually brought that, not so that you stayed where you were at and did a good job staying there, but so that you would have the courage to challenge yourself to potentially change directions from where you are going to begin with. But the Bible says that they got to the place they were going to make a turn. Some translations even say those exact words. They came to their turn, and they went to turn in. And when they went to turn in, the Bible says, but he would have gone further. Now, this is an interesting, if you keep reading, what makes this passage so interesting is it continues to reveal the gentlemanness in God. God never looked at him and said, you know what? If you would just go uh, two extra miles down here and turn to the left, I'm going to be there. He never said, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm unveiling the biggest and most important revelations to you. Don't you want to just take an extra step? They said, hey, we don't know you. Here's our turn. You want to come with us? You know what Jesus did? He said, sure, I'll come with you. In other words, most of the time, Jesus isn't altering your destination by his choice only. He's leaving it to you. He'll follow you into your choice. because he's a gentleman. So when he tells us to follow him, it's not that Jesus is 50 paces ahead, turning back going, if you don't come here, I'm not gonna do it. If you don't come here, I'm not gonna be with you. If you don't do, hurry up and get together. That's what other people do. That's what human nature does. That's not what God does when he wants you to follow him. What God's doing is he's walking beside you, trying to unveil things to you, trying to inspire your heart to the place that you'll have the courage to do things that are out of the box and out of the ordinary and change the direction of where you were headed to begin with so he could take you to a better place than you ever thought of, but he's not gonna force you. He's not going to make you. He's not going to make us at the gate church embrace what God wants to do in the earth. He's leaving it to us on whether or not we're going to choose to continue to go where we were going or if we're going to make the turn and follow him because he will go further. The question is, will we?
will we walk further with him? And what I have found in my relationship with God is that I have at times invited God into my space. But I haven't necessarily left my space to find him. You know, there's a scripture that's been really important to me in the last several weeks. And today actually um, is the sixth anniversary of my husband's accident where he nearly seriously almost lost his life. And we call it life day, don't we, honey? And uh, I kind of came up with that, and I normally make it a big deal. And, and uh, you know, this is our first Sunday celebrating that, so it's not as big of a deal right now, but it is a big deal in our family. And we were on our way here today, and I turned to Jason, and I said, you know, I'm, he said, I prayed today. I was so thankful for another day on the planet. And I said, man, I prayed today, too, because it's, it's, a, it's a memorial for us. No one saw a set of tractor-trailer wheels coming off at 70 miles an hour, hitting my husband's truck head on. And I was thinking about it when I was preparing this morning, and a scripture that's kind of just stuck out to me in the midst of this has been really Isaiah, really Luke 4, but Isaiah 61, where the Bible says that he binds up the brokenhearted, because there's no doubt that I'm sure like many of you, our hearts have been broken. And I was thinking about what does it mean for God to bind up your brokenness? What does it look like for him to, to bind it up? And I started to study that word, and, and when I began to break it down, that word can also mean a ferocious hug. That God just comes and gives you a ferocious hug. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, Amanda, the problem isn't my ability to give the hug. It's that I can't get people to enter into the vulnerable space that I'm offering to them so that I can so what happens is we end up living below what we're capable of and below our capacity because we're following in one regard, but we're never allowing ourselves to walk in any sense of vulnerability with God because a hug for the other person, the one giving the hug, they're in control. Whenever I open my arms for my kids to come hug me, I'm inviting them into my space. But they have to leave their space to get in my space. And what I find about following God is that most of the time we end up not doing it because we're misjudging what God is doing in the fellowship. God is not on the other side as a military officer trying to command you in some kind of boot camp. He is literally standing on the other side of your decisions with open arms trying to give you the ferocious hugs he has for you so that he can wrap you around in belonging. He can wrap you around with security so that you will continue to walk further and further and further and further with him knowing that each walk that you take, you are closer and closer and closer to the relationship he's always ordained. It is not about educating you. It's about loving you. It's about loving me. The further walk is not to try to figure out if we can pray 15 hours a day. Or if you can make sure that you marked up your Bible enough with fresh revelations that you've got something to say at work this week. It's about whether or not you're going to let God start leading your space or if you're going to stay in charge of your space whether or not he is the one who is 
taking you on this walk or if where you're going and where you decided you were going is the only place you can go. Six months ago, I would have never seen this day. Listen, I got big dreams. I ain't no small dreamer. I love to dream. I think anything's possible. When I was a kid, I thought for sure I was headed to presidency. I mean, I, I lost one, one ticket in fifth grade for being the president of my fifth grade, and I said, that will never happen again. <laughs> First and last. Because I thought for sure this is what I was supposed to do. I make light of it, but you got to understand that's how I was raised. I was raised to think about possibility. I was raised to make directions for myself that felt so big there was no way God couldn't be in favor of them. Only to learn that everything I thought was big, God still thought was small. And here's what I have to say to the Gate Church today. Pastor Jay started it last week. God is not okay with where we have come. He wants us to keep going. You don't discredit what was to get to what's next. It's just next. Moses wasn't a bad leader. He just had to go so Joshua could come. And there's a reason why Moses has no laying to rest place. Because it is the nature of people that whoever brought you out, you are attached to because of what they did for you. And you'll never do what God's called you to do going in. Because your loyalties lie in the past, not to God's future. I'm not being, listen to me, that's my dad. If you're new to the church, listen, we lost our pastor seven weeks ago. Pastor Kathy's come on, she's doing an amazing job. I'm gonna tell you, she's rocking it out. She really is, she really is. So thankful for her. So thankful for her leadership that she's giving us. It's, it's really amazing, it really, Holly's right, she's my sister. It killed her today as to not be here and to be sick. But I'm telling you this so that we see that it's not about letting something go. It's about learning to build on. My husband said something to me a few weeks ago, and it so made sense to me. He said, Amanda, God's not trying to continue anything. He's trying to build on something. And here's what I've come to tell the Gate Church. What God is building on is dependent on whether or not we can keep following. And listen, I'm no fool. Everyone sitting in this building gets the choice on whether or not they do. Go with me to John 21. John 21. Y'all okay? John 21. We're going to pick up in verse 15. Just hold your place there for a second. You know, I just want to build this picture real quick. Of course, we all know out of Scripture that Peter denies Jesus, right? He goes back fishing. In fact, Pastor Jay lent to it last week just about, you know, he went back to what he knew. How many of us do that? We disappoint God. We disappoint ourselves. I think that's the bigger failure. The bigger failure actually isn't that we disappointed God. It's that we thought something better of ourselves. We thought we were better than that. 
right? It's our own pride that's been confronted. And Peter's own pride had been confronted and he went back to what was most comfortable because he had been successful at it. See, that's what I find. Most of the time when people find themselves in failed places or places they just have outcomes they didn't expect, they go back to what they knew they were successful at because if they can have that momentary success again, it will prop them up long enough to try to heal their soul when really God's trying to mend their soul in the direction of repentance and the direction of confidence again, but instead they find themselves back at what they were. Okay, that's a side note. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. Okay, John 21, verse 15. This is now Jesus who's come now and he's on the horizon. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said, he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying of the death in which would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, two words, follow me. So here's what I figured out. You get multiple opportunities in your life to follow. It is not a salvation follow. You follow him to the altar, but you got to follow him out the building. You got to follow him to your job. You got to follow him into the bedroom of your home. You got to follow him into the nursery of your children. You have to follow him into the biggest decisions of your life. You have to follow him in the most insignificant decisions of your life because this is what Jesus wants us to know. You don't just choose once. In my kingdom and in my world and under my lordship, I want to know, Peter, the first time I asked you to follow me in scripture, you didn't know what it was going to cost. You didn't know what it was going to take. You didn't have any idea. All you did was say yes to me. But what I want to know now is I've told you about some things that are coming your way. I've told you about some hardships you're about to face. I've told you about some things that you aren't going to like. And I want to know now knowing how hard this road is about to be. Can you still follow me? Here is the question over the gate, church. It is one thing to say yes when you have no idea what it's going to take. It's another thing when someone can look and say, it's going to cost you more than you ever thought you would be able to give. It will take from you, but it will give to you more than you thought you could receive. It's going to require something that is only on the deep inside of you. But my question to you is, can you still follow me? Are you still capable of walking the distance with me? Now knowing how much is ahead of you. 
most of the time we end up walking in such a way with God that we're unable to get to that question because by the third, do you love me? We're questioning whether or not we do. We're mad Jesus had to ask us something three times. Like he didn't hear us the first time. I told you I'd go to that church. I told you it was a 30-minute drive, Lord, but I'm still going. I'm going to leave it alone. Jesus says, do you love me? We do hard things. Will you move from the back row to the fifth row? For some of you, that's hard. Will you volunteer in a place that you don't feel gifted at and you don't feel like you're going to be the ace of? Will you call someone when your marriage is in trouble and be honest about how terrible and awful and horrific it is? Will you call someone when you know your kids are not listening and you know you ain't done nothing wrong as a parent, but you got to talk to someone because it's about to go crazy up in your house? Sometimes I don't know who raised my children. They are crazy. But I have never in my life, until the last five years of my life, been able to be vulnerable enough to let God deal with the followership of me, not understanding that that is part of the call. The call is don't just sit on the perfectionism of the law that you have been instituted by religion, but learn to get into alignment with me and around people who are like me that you can be vulnerable with so that you can begin to see that the followership of God is all about becoming more and more and and more like him. And more like him means less like you. So Peter, I love this. You got to have to read a little bit further with me. Are you okay? Y'all all right? I hope you're getting something. Take these Bible verses home, pray over them, because that's what I do. Then Peter, turning around, this is verse 20, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now this is John talking about himself, which I find super humorous who also leaned on his breast at the supper. Don't you love John, how he describes himself? And he said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So here's what happens whenever God says to you again, do something hard. He said, first thing you got to deal with is your comparison mode. Your sense of competition over someone else be seemingly being more blessed than you are. He was telling us that our immediate reaction to when God tells us to do something difficult is to compare ourselves to someone who's not having to do something as difficult as us. He said, what about the one whom you love? The one you clearly found to be the baby of the bunch. The one who never had to sacrifice like the rest of us. They never paid the price. They're the 11th hour worker. They came in and never paid for a pew in this church. They've never showed up when there were 70 people. They never knew what it took to volunteer in six different places six days a week. They didn't give $500,000. They didn't do what it took. Why is it that you're letting them just keep going like it's loosey-goosey and I'm over here suffering? Don't even act like I don't know what your mind thinks. Let me tell you part of the followership for 
forward. If you're joining us from another church, you can just hang because this is over our church. Part of the follow is, is that there is no divide between yesterday and tomorrow. We are one people of this generation. There wasn't some first people and now there's some next people. We are the people. We will not be able to possess what God is saying if we constantly revert to what we had to pay in order to get to where we are. God said, I'm coming to deal with the competitiveness and the comparisons that constantly want to go around when I tell you to go into difficult territory. And you know what Jesus said? What business is it of yours, Peter, if I let John live on the highest of the hog? Who cares if I give him everything under the sun? The question is not whether or not I do something for John I didn't do for you. The question is, my grace is sufficient for your walk. Will you walk my walk or are you going to try to walk someone else's walk? Because I haven't graced that part of you I've graced this part so what I want to know is can you follow me or are you following popularity or are you following what's easy or are you following what comes to you next can you follow me can you buy the smaller house not the bigger one can you get out of debt instead of racking up credit cards can you learn how to bring your kids into the presence of God stop letting them choose whether they come to church or not the question is can you follow me I refuse to sit as a 40-something in my world and believe it's okay that my kids are not taught of the Lord because they somehow have an opinion my kids don't have an opinion I have an opinion because I've been given charge over their life I've said to you when you get out of my house you get to choose but as long as you're under my roof you will do the will of God as I see fit and we will follow Jesus you don't choose if you come or you don't come, if you like it or you don't like it, if you want the worship or you don't want the worship, you like the preaching, you don't like the preaching. This is not a routine movie. We've come to follow Jesus. Give me some low ends. Give me some low ends. I'm telling you, part of this followership is getting into the dirty of our life. It means that we're not going to be sideline Christians. We're not going to act like God doesn't require something from us. Whoever introduced you to that Jesus taught you the wrong one. And whoever's preaching that gospel is taking the back seat to what they've been called to do. I am certainly not perfect. I screw things up regularly. Amanda and Jason Connor apologize to each other at least five times a day. And normally it's before coffee. It's not about perfectionism. It's about the ability to put yourself on a path that you refuse to waver from. And this is what Jesus said. Peter, you just screwed me over four days ago. I was your leader that you said you'd never not be with. You cut off a man's ear to try to protect me on the eve of the worst day of my life. You left me high and dry. And, I, and you're upset I ask you three times if you love me. You walked out, bro. By the way, he said, 
you know what, Peter? You screwed me up, but I won't let you screw you up. I'm going to call you back to purpose. If it takes me making sure that on this road right now before you in the sand, that you get it inside of you that I have ordained you for this. You may feel like you don't qualify. You may think you let me down, and you did. But I want you to know that let down has only been a setup for what God wants to reveal to you. Because had you not come face to face with your own humanity, you thought you were high on the hog to begin with. I had to humble you so I could come to you to tell you to follow me. Listen, I'm so sick of people acting like they ain't got no problem in life. You got to learn that you got a problem, and you need Jesus to show up in the midst of your issues. You, but he's not saying that's a problem for him. He's just saying, you're right. You screwed that up, but I want you to get back on track and follow where I'm going because I didn't change the ordained place that I am taking you to just because you got off track. I've come to tell someone here, you think you wasted time? God said, follow me. Follow me. I'm telling you over the house because I have the privilege of being here in the beginning days of our ministry here. I sat in this room and didn't know. You know, I get to tell Tony Miller's story now because he ain't here to correct me. Part of the privilege, Lord. My dad was a very humble man. He really was. He was that way on the platform and off. Jake can confirm it. He wasn't the guy that was going to tote what it cost him. He just wasn't that dude. And we got here, and we showed up on this property, and I'll never forget it. The third day we were here, a woman who was working in the finance department walked in. I was in the room. He was in the room. Jay was gone. He was in, yeah, Jay left us. He was in Michigan. Those were in his, that was Ray in his terrible times, but we still let him come back. She walked in on the third day and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, I was not allowed to tell you the truth. I don't know who that came from. I don't know who told her that. I never asked, so I'm not putting accusations. I'm just telling those were her words. I was there. And she put down a record of a very, very long list of debts. Very long list. The kind of thing that, you know, one blessed offering couldn't have helped. First of all, there was 120 people total sitting in this room. You want to talk about preaching, you felt like you were in a ping pong match. You could talk over here, you could talk over here, you could talk over here. I mean, you, just, you weren't sure where people were at. And like Dad said before, there were people in the back making out. That's all a true story, because you couldn't see them. I mean, it was that scarce. She came in and she, she put it down. And I'll never forget when she left the room that day. Because, you know, I knew my dad, and my dad was a man of faith. I mean, he really was. And I, for the first time since we had arrived, because we knew this was going to be tough territory, for the first time we had arrived, I felt like he seemed, <sighs> you know what I mean? You ever had that feeling? You just get something, you get news, you get something. And it was like, <sighs> and I'll never forget, 
God just kind of brought it back to me. Because on the back of his desk, he had received a plaque from my mom and him when he was first married. And it was a little small plaque. It was only about this big. Actually, it's still at his house today. And it, at that time, sat on the back of his desk, even on that third day. And it said these words. The grace, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And my dad turned around to the plaque and he read it. And the Lord just illuminated to me again when I was thinking about him. That was his, I'm going to keep following you. I don't know how you're going to resurrect 32 acres of property. I don't know how you're going to put butts on the seat. I don't know how you're going to get us out of the jam we were in. I don't know how you're going to do it. But the will of God will never lead me where the grace of God cannot keep me. So I will follow. Let me tell you something over the gate church right now. God is issuing to each one of us a fresh followership. Whether or not we don't just do hard things, but we're okay in the midst of hard things. There's a difference when you are in control of the hard thing and when the hard thing is out of your control. Jesus told Peter, you can't let the previous day experiences with me define your expectation of me. You have to let my fresh revelation teach you how to set your expectations on me. I'm going to go through one scripture and then we're going to go. Y'all okay? You have, you have been okay? You want to come, Sarah? It always helps. And all that worship team, it always helps. Every good preacher knows when they get up behind the keyboard. I was preaching for a guy one time, and I really, he's like a church that you know you can go for hours and hours and hours in, and he was standing in the back of the sanctuary. If you're watching Pat McDonald, I love you. He was standing in the back, and he, he, I was doing something at the end of a service, and he was doing like this. I thought, oh my Lord, I've just totally screwed this whole thing up. I gotta hurry up and get off this platform. So I mean, I shut it down faster than like any shutdown, like an ant bite. I mean, it was over. And I said, oh my gosh, well, I just closed up shop and got off the platform. And he walked up to me and said, why did, why did you stop, stop uh, you know, ministering? I said, because you did this. He said, oh, I was telling the worship team behind you that their mics weren't working. I was like, how could I know that? That's the worst signal in the world, Pat. <laughs> That's the, you screwed this up, get off the platform move. Let me, let me help you with cultural tactics. It was funny. He even got up and said something to his church because he felt so bad. It was so funny. <laughs> Acts chapter 10. I'm just going to walk you through it. You can go there on your own to study. Acts chapter 10 has been a pivotal place for me in this followership message. Because we're still talking about Peter. And the Bible says that there was a man who was of Greek descent. In other words, he was not of the chosen people. His name was Cornelius. And Cornelius had been praying and asking God to come send someone to help him understand who God was. Because, you know, at that time, you couldn't just, like, go to a website and look up, you know, the Jesus factor. You had to have someone share with you what it was and make identity for what it was you were feeling in your heart. 
I'm not even sure if Cornelius knew he was even praying to God. He was just reaching for anything that was like a God. He knew something was happening in his household. He just had no words and definition for it, and he needed someone. And the Bible says that in Acts chapter 10, after this prayer is going up, in another part, not at Cornelius' house, in another part, Peter is just on a journey. He shows up at a household where he's staying for a few days, and he tells them, I'm going to go on the roof and take a nap, pray a little bit, you know, since God. You could just see Peter doing this, right? You know, mighty man. And the Bible says that when he got up to the rooftop, most of you will know the story. When he got up to the rooftop, the Bible calls it a trance. We would probably call it a vision. That Peter had a vision of four-legged animals. Can you imagine, like, you know, four-legged animals? But these were animals he was unaccustomed to seeing as anything fit to eat. These were animals that were pigs and types of animals that, that were not seen as fit animals or clean animals. And the word of the Lord came to him in the vision and it said, rise, kill, and eat. Now isn't it great when God gives you five words? Well, four. Rise, kill, and eat. That's it. But for Peter, those four worlds totally took him to a place that confronted everything about his life. See, here's what I found. God don't need to give you paragraphs. His ability to confront your strongholds, rise, kill, and eat. That's all it took for Peter. And Peter responds back to the Lord. I have never defiled myself. Isn't it good when we're religious with God? I've been there 25 years, Lord. How dare you ask this of me? We like qualify why our no makes sense. Jesus says, still no. Jesus said, rise, kill, and eat. Peter said, I can't do that. Because here, listen, listen, listen. Peter walked with Jesus over three years, face to face, and Jesus had never said that to him then. Never told him, you need to see this different, this is okay, this isn't okay, this is how you act, this is what you do. So why now, Lord? Are you changing up on me? Why is it that I've been walking with you a long time physically and now I'm walking with you spiritually and now all of a sudden you're changing your tactics up on me? He said, you know I've never done this. And God's response to Peter is, just because you haven't done it doesn't mean something was ever wrong with it. You just never saw it the way I want you to see it now. Here's what I want to say over the gate. There are some things that we journeyed on in the last however many years that God never required anything different from. He was okay. Maybe even in your own life, He was okay. 
He never confronted certain areas of your life because in the moment and in the time you were in, it wasn't necessary to your future yet. And he knew that if he brought all of that all at the same time, you would just fall under the blood and not know how to get up. But in the same way, there came an appointed time that there needed to be an answer for Cornelius. And God had created Peter to be the answer for Cornelius. His followership was to be the answer to Cornelius. But the question still remained on whether or not God's plan would succeed or whether or not God was going to have to alter his plans because he left it with Peter. Rise, kill, and eat. And if you can, if you can get past your tradition, if you can get past who you were yesterday, if you can get past how you saw me yesterday, if you can let me deal with some things that I let you get away with in the last five years, but I'm not gonna let you get away with tomorrow. If you can do that, then I've got a whole generation of people who are calling out for my name and I wanna send you to them. But the condition is, will you follow me past your tradition out of your experience in to the revelation that you have now of what I'm doing and who I am. Listen to me. We may not have had to give up something in the past. God may have said it's okay you act that way. You come to church on the days you want to. You do the things you like. But I'm telling you, God is saying to us, mature. I'm asking you to get into the presence of God and rise, kill, and eat. Learn how to hear my voice differently. Walk into the place I've called you differently. Because the question is not just can you follow me but can you follow me past you can you follow me past what you think and what you desire and what you hope the outcome is and what you're used to and what you built your life on can you follow me past that because here's the key if you will there is a whole house of Cornelius's who have been crying out waiting for you But God didn't show him Cornelius because he didn't want him going out of the wrong heart with the upper hand come and help the down and outer he said to Peter uh -uh. you don't get to treat him like he's the victim you got to go as the humbled one yourself I'm going to ask of you to do the stuff nobody around you is going to understand and when you do it everybody gonna make fun of you everybody gonna think you off your rocker that you never know exactly what you're doing how can you give up that job to go do that how can you let that go and make that happen how could you keep praying for your kids when they don't even want to call you anymore how is that you want to do this and not do that and here's what I want to tell you you are gonna have some naysayers you're gonna have some people that don't believe in you you're gonna have some people that want to put you down put you back in your place and the question becomes will you still follow will you still rise up will you still do it will you get past you so that because there's a Cornelius waiting on your voice voices have a zip code and a zip code has been assigned to this region and this house and my question at the gate church is will we let go of our experience and walk in to the revelation we don't get it we don't understand it we don't know what it's going to cost totally but all I know is 
I need to keep following. Stand with me. Here's what I want to do. They're going to sing in just a minute. I'm just asking you to stay course with me for a few more minutes. Here's what I want to do. I know there's probably people in this room that you may not know the Lord, and I want to talk to you because I think God wants you to know you can follow Him today fresh and anew. The last thing I would ever want you to do is walk out of this building and not know Jesus loves you, that He's for you, and He wants to have a relationship with you. Yet at the same time, I've come to talk to believers who said their follow yes once or twice when they didn't know what they were getting into. But now God is saying, will you do it with the information I've given you? Will you still follow? Under the conditions that don't make sense, will you still follow? So here's what I'm going to do because I think you should leave a moment for people to get into their heart where they're at. Because the last thing I want you to do is walk out of here or be hasty with the decision and you don't mean it. Because once you say yes, God's obligated to your growth. That ain't my issue. That's God's issue. And just in case you're wondering, if you ain't ready for it, don't you dare raise your hand. But if you know that God's saying, yes, I want to follow. I'm sick of even just living in the place I'm at. I don't want to just be in this followership. I want you to know I'm ready for the full follow. I'm going to have them sing through. And then I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. And then we're going to pray. Y'all okay? It's all right? That's what we're going to do. And I want you to spend this moment as they're singing to begin to search your heart to say, God, give me the courage to say yes again. Right now, all over the building, we're going to open the altars. They're going to keep worshiping. This is just a sign. Okay. 
okay? This is just a sign. If that's you, you know, see, I want to go to the next place with God. I want to follow. I just want to acknowledge my yes. I want to acknowledge my yes. I just want you to lift your hand just as a sign of surrender. Just, I just want to acknowledge my yes. I'm lifting my hand. I want to go to the next with God. I'm not there. I am not there. I have to keep saying yes every single day. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand all over the room. Lord, right now we just say yes to you. We say yes to you. We say yes to following you. We say yes to your direction. We say yes to your way. We, Lord, say that our ambitions, our own ideas, we're laying at the altar. We're giving away what we thought was, where we were headed on our journey. We're taking away our own direction and we're asking for your direction because we know you would go further. We know that you're willing to go further and we're willing to go further with you. We say yes, we say yes, we say yes to you in Jesus' name. right now all over this room you see hearts you see hands you see posture your word is so clear about posture it's not about the way we look it's the posture of our heart right now we posture our heart in your direction say Lord come come and saturate us once again in our yes to follow what I want to do. If you don't know Christ today, I don't want to make it prolonged, but every person in this room came the same way. Just so you know, every person had to say yes to Jesus. It's not automatic because you attend a church service. That's not how that works. It's not automatic because you have a parent that knew Jesus. It's not automatic because somebody prays for you or because you pray for yourself. You have to say yes to him. You have to acknowledge that you need him. You have to acknowledge that there's something missing in you only he can do. And if there's anyone in this room right now, there's no one that's going to be looking around, looking at you, worried about you. We all came the same way. Everybody done it. I've done it myself. I had to say yes to. I, sometimes I do it multiple times. And if you know that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. Anybody all over the room that you say yes, I want to say yes to Jesus today. Say yes to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands. Jesus sees your hands. That's what matters most. He sees your hands. This is what I want you to do. I just want you to repeat a simple prayer. After we do that, we're gonna sing one time through, then I'm gonna bless you and we're gonna let you go. But here's what I wanna tell you before I pray. I felt so strongly that we were just supposed to leave the altars open and have the worship team just sing for a little bit. There is no obligation. This is more about you and what's going on in you. So nobody's gonna be mad if you don't stay, but we wanna be conscious of people who just wanna say, I wanna take a little extra time with Jesus today. I just need to be in the presence of worship as I'm following. So when they get done singing and I bless you, the altars are gonna be open, okay? Right now, if this is your first time raising your hand to receive Christ, repeat after me. Lord, I receive you today in my heart. I receive you today in my heart. I acknowledge your son Jesus. I acknowledge your son Jesus. I acknowledge that he died on the cross for me. I acknowledge that he died on the cross for me. And that he rose from the dead. And that he rose from the dead. Today I turn from darkness to light. Today I turn from darkness to light. And I ask you to come live in me. And I ask you to come live in me. Make your place in me. Make your place in me. I say yes to you. I say yes to you. Now Lord bless those that have raised their hand. Thank you that as the enemy tries to come and steal their yes this week, he'll have no entry point. 
thank you that they will have the courage and the confidence to walk in who they've been called to be. Thank you for giving them courage today and every day after today. In Jesus' name. Now, Ashley, sing for bless your people may you cause your favor to rest upon them make your countenance turn in their direction and Lord I thank you that your grace and your mercy goes with them today in Jesus mighty name